Blog Talk Radio. Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net with your host, Chris G. All right, welcome to episode 176 of the Habs 360 podcast. My name is Chris G at Chris G1980, and while this is the Habs 360 season six finale, so I hope you enjoy it, and with me to break down the Canadian season editor-in-chief and owner of the All Habs Network of Sites. You can follow him on Twitter at All Habs. Rick, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Chris. Uh, glad to be here. But does this really have to be our last show? This uh, this season's gone by way too quickly. Exactly. The Canadian season finished uh, a lot sooner than we all wanted, than what we all expected at the beginning of the season. But, well, we're gonna in the, in the next 60 minutes, we'll tell you why uh, that happened. And now it's time for this week's winners and losers on Habs 360. Well, in a season where the Montreal Canadiens finished with a record of 38-38-6, and 82 points, did not make it into the playoffs. Uh, it is kind of hard to find positives. But the good news is, Rick, that we did find some positives out of this season. Yeah, there's there's uh, quite a few positives actually um, as we look back over the season. Um, I think that that a good place to start is um, you know injuries. Uh, that's that's been talked about a lot in the postseason, but the injuries provided an opportunity. They opened a door for uh, the Canadians' youth that that uh, they otherwise wouldn't have had. And I think that that we we saw that there um, there are a handful of young players who are NHL ready. They, um, you know, probably have gone as far as they, they, uh, they need to go in 
uh, the AHL, and uh, they can step in in various places in the lineup. Um, and um, I, I think all of them, uh, at least the ones that we'll, we'll mention, have, um, have performed really quite well. Um, the ones that come to mind to me, um, uh, Daniel Carr, you know, um, Brendan Gallagher was out and he was asked to play a, a, a Brendan Gallagher type game. And although he, those are big skates to, to fill, Daniel Carr goes to the net. He can shoot. He he seems to be around the puck. He he was tremendous. Uh, Sven Andragetto's got speed, got a tremendous shot. Jakob De La Rose um, is uh, an effective two-way player. Could use a little bit more offense, but can be put out there in key situations. Uh, Mike McCarron, uh, that that big force down the middle, willing to go to the front of the net, willing to stand up for his teammates, and on the back end. Uh, poor Greg Patteron sat for the first third of the season, but when he got a chance to contribute, uh, worked his way right up to the first pairing and, and looked not out of place um, uh, right beside Andre Markov. So um, I, I think there's some, some really you know, encouraging signs there um, with the development of the Canadians' uh, young, young core, as we can call them. Yeah, there was 46 players that wore the Canadians jersey this season. But obviously, I think towards the end of the season, with all these injuries and the team was officially eliminated, the Canadians were just calling up players just to see how they look uh, with the big team. Uh, you mentioned the big player, some of the main players that we saw that uh, caught our attention. Daniel Carr, like you said, six goals in 23 games. You prorate that to an 82-game season, and that's a 22-goal uh, season for Daniel Carr. So for a team that's struggling with offense, uh, that's not a bad uh, offensive production for him. Daniel Carr did miss a good part of the in- uh, season due to a uh, knee injury. Craig Pattern, first full season with the Canadians, played 38 games, averaged a little bit under 17 minutes. And we all remember... When at the start of the season, I would say even for the first couple of months of the season, Canadians had nine defensemen on the roster, and we're all wondering what was going to happen. But now with the injuries, Craig Pattern got a lot of ice time, and I think he's uh, pretty much gotten himself a uh, irregular slot next year with uh, the Montreal Canadiens on defense. And there's even a couple of other players you could throw in that we saw, Hanley and Darren Dietz. They they didn't look uh, too bad either uh, towards the end of the season. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, Hanley picked up uh, a surprising number of assists, and uh, whether those were you know being in the right place at the right time, he he contributed. Darren Dietz has has got an interesting combination of of um, size, uh, um, physicality, shot, uh, good skater. Uh, probably needs a little bit more uh, seasoning, but um, I thought he played really well when he was was asked to come into the lineup. Yeah, for sure. Definitely agree. So moving on, um, on my list, and and this might be an unusual one for for winners of the year, I've got Carey Price in there. And um, I realize he only made 12 starts, uh, but he won 10 of those. And... um, you look at uh, if if Carey Price doesn't um, 
win 10 of the 12 starts. If you, if you insert um, the other goalies uh, record there um, for carry price, uh, the Canadians drop seven or eight places in the standings. Um, they, they become one of the worst teams of the league. Um, it just, I mean, there's, there's a whole number of ways to have shown uh, carry prices value, but, but that one is a bit startling to me is how far they would have dropped in the standings uh, without carry price. Um, his starts in, in uh, October and November. So stats were, they were on pace to be very similar to what they had last season and last season. We, we saw what it happened. He cleaned up the league when it came to individual awards. So he was off to the same pace. And the big question coming up for Carey Price now, he didn't finish, he didn't play a game before the end of the season. The big question, Rick, that will be asked on everybody's mind from here until uh, August is, will Carey Price play in the World Cup? On your end, Rick, the fact that he didn't finish the season, didn't play a game with the Canadians, does that change what you would think, whether or not Price should play or not at that tournament? No, I, I think that um, if he's if he's 100%, you know, we, we heard him uh, at the end of the season saying he wasn't 100%. He didn't have his full range of motion. He's experienced some symptoms, whether that's pain, um, whatever it is, whatever restriction it was. Uh, it was the right decision for him not to play. And I think as the the summer goes on, if he's a hundred percent, he should definitely play in the world cup. And that will, that will, you know, th- there they have a bit of a training camp uh, and that'll be good prep for him for the season. Question I think is um, I think a lot is being put on Carey Price's shoulders to come back and be that player uh, that carries the team. Um, the expectations are there from fans. The expectations are there from coaches, from, from uh, the general manager and will Carey Price uh, ever be able to retain, um, regain that that form that he's he's had, and and that's I think the big unknown for next season. And for sure, and it's three out of the last four seasons that Carey Price hasn't finished uh, the season with Canadians, not uh, on the injured reserves. And just another aspect of Carey Price's game, I'm wondering if uh, Carey Price's leadership, his presence on the ice and even in the dressing room, if it had an impact on the team's records, I guess that's one thing that we'll, uh, we'll never find out, but I'm sure it was at least, it was at least definitely missed by the rest of the team. Yeah, you're right. That's a great point is that, that um, you know, there's, there's lots of people that say, well, Carey Price doesn't score goals. Well, he does contribute to the offense and the way he moves the puck, the way he controls the game, slows it down, um, you know, helps with the breakout. Um, and, not only that, Price, Rick, and not only that, Rick, like another team, when they face Montreal Canadiens, when Carey Price is in goal, well, they might do that extra play because they know like a simple shot won't beat them. So they, they might go for that extra pass. They, they, they'll, the opposing team will game plan more around Carey Price when, when he isn't on the ice, well, they, they, take more, they could take more shots. They could be a little bit more risky against the Canadians. Yeah, absolutely. You heard Ken Hitchcock early in the season um, when they came into Montreal, and Ken Hitchcock, one of the best coaches in, in the game, uh, said that Carey Price is the only player in the league that changes their game plan. 
He said, I don't change my game plan for any other player except Carey Price. That's a, that's, that's a huge compliment. Um, and, and Carey Price has that intimidation factor for, for the other teams. Yeah, definitely. Um, so so uh, why, don't, why don't you take one? Um, why don't you add one to uh, our winner's list? Okay, well, I'll go with the Montreal Canadiens defenseman, uh, Andre Markov, 37-year-old. Every year seems like we have the same questions going into the season. Will uh, Andre Markov have the juice, the energy, the stamina it takes for a full 82-game season? We keep saying his time should be managed, uh, etc. In terms of point production, Markov, yes, may have gone down. He went down from 50 to uh, 44 points, but so did most of the Canadians in this uh, in this season. In power play points, he was second in the team with 17 points. He's right behind uh, P.K. Subban. And in terms of ice time, he just played one minute less than what he did uh, last year. But if you look at his play on the ice, he still has that intelligence the, to making those plays, uh, the great passes. He did go, I would say, about mid-December, January. He went through a stretch where his game went down. But right after that, I would say right after the All-Star game is when he came back and he looked like the old Andre Markov that, uh, that we love. So... Once again, Andre Markov, 37 years old, another great season for the Canadiens' veteran defenseman. Yeah, a great, great pick, Chris. Uh, he, you know, he gets uh, a lot of unwarranted uh, criticism, and as you say, his he he had a bit of a lull, um, uh, but um, something that he's been criticized before is is not finishing strong. I thought he finished very strong. Um, and, and look great. His intelligence is his biggest asset. He sees the game uh, like nobody else except Carey Price. Um, um, and he makes every player that plays with him looks better. P.K. Subban is better with Andre Markov. We talked about Greg Pattern. Look great with Andre Markov. Nathan Beaulieu looked great with, with Andre Markov. Um, he's just Don't a forget, smart uh... player. Don't forget Mark Barberio. I think Barberio with him looked uh, better than what he actually is. Yeah, and I, I yeah, a, a, absolutely. Barberio, I, you know, he's 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 quite an adventure in his own end. But he looked pretty good with with uh, as as best as as he played with Andre Markov. So, um, absolutely, um, Andre Markov, uh, a, a, a a really good season for him. And the storyline. Uh, for next season, uh, Rick, for Andre Markov, is that he's going to be entering his final year in the contract. So you know what that usually means. Is he going to sign? Is he going to get traded? So we might know because as of July 1st of this year, uh, he's, he'll be able to renegotiate a new contract with the Montreal Canadiens. If that doesn't happen during the off season. As of September, I'll say, or as of training camp begins, or August, September, whenever it does, that storyline will begin for for Markov. And I'm sure there'll be quite a debate within uh, the fan base uh, between me and you if he hasn't been signed. So uh, that's an interesting storyline to come to look to uh, to watch out. 
And if you think you know Andrei Markov uh, from the way he's portrayed with the mainstream media, um, you know, people love to mock him, love to uh, try and pretend, you know, on his accent and, and be gruff and, uh, and say he's got no personality. Follow him on Instagram. Follow him on one of the best followers on Instagram. He is, um, you can see his personality coming out with, um, with both he and, and his, his new uh, partner in life. And um, he's, it's, it's a very entertaining account. Andre Markov isn't the kind of person he's portrayed to be. Yeah. He gives good quotes. So uh, I guess to wrap up this uh, Markov discussion, I want, I want to play my favorite quotes quotes of Markov from this year? Uh, that's a good question, you know. Um, let's talk about hockey. <laughs> so there you go. That, that's uh, that's Andre Markov. Yeah, absolutely. He he doesn't have, you know, time for, for all this other nonsense. Let's talk about hockey. I, I like that. <laughs> so, Rick, why don't we go with uh, the last name on our list? Well, I think the big winner of the the year um, in our eyes is is Alex Galchenyuk. Um, he, you know, he, he really came out of um, his uh, the shell he was in, maybe put in, uh, and he proved uh, that he can be uh, a very effective, a very dominant center. He proved that he has uh, he can have chemistry with with um, other players like. Um, Max Pacioretty, um, he he proved that um, you know over the course of the season he learned that uh, how to to uh, be a bit better defensively, um, but Andre Markov can be a threat when he gets the ice time, when he gets the line mates, when he gets power play time, he can be one of the most lethal threats in the game, uh, playing his offside off wing. Um, it, tremendous. He, he's he, he's the the player that that uh, kind of took over the last part of the season and gave Habs fans a reason to be excited. He was named the Molson Cup winner for the Canadians for the 2015-2016 season for the Player of the Year. Quite a surprise, considering that the, every other year it's been uh, Carey Price. In terms of numbers. He's set career highs when it comes to goals with 30. He tied his career high in assists with 26, and he set a new career high for 56 points in a season. And during the uh, garbage bag day, the cleanup day, we did find out that uh, Galchenyuk played more or less the last 10 games with a broken finger. So that was uh, that was interesting because it really didn't show on uh, on the ice. It didn't seem to have uh, affected his performance. In uh, other stats, he led the NHL with eight multiple-goal games. He led the team with uh, nine power play goals. And I was looking at uh, notes from last season, so approximately one year ago from today, and there was still some doubt around Alex Galchenia because, well, we're like, we see the potential, but he hasn't shown it on the ice. But I think now especially towards the, the last half of the season, we saw all of Alex Galchenyuk's uh, potential. And I think now is finally the time where he'll finally get a chance from game one to game 82 to be the Canadians' uh, number one 
center. So congratulations to Alex Galchenyuk, our big winner. So that Rick, we're talking about positives for this season. Alex Galchenyuk was definitely the big positive for uh, for the Habs this year. No question. Um, and and it was a season where. Uh, you know, he had to deal with uh, different positions on the ice. He had to deal with different line mates. Um, and and I think he handled it all quite well. Um, it, you know, uh, he he um, certainly shows his character as well, that uh, he, he finished strong um, at the end of the season um, and got to that 30-goal plateau, um, even, even though he was suffering with uh, uh, an injury through it. Uh, honorable mention for the uh, as a nominee goes to uh, Paul Byron, who was acquired from waivers from the Calgary Flames uh, early in the season. A player that wasn't too well known by Montreal Canadiens fan base. He ended up the season with 11 goals, career high for him, five points shorthanded, and he was also uh, voted the uh, Jacques Beauchamp Molson Trophy recipient which is given uh, to a player who played a dominant role during the regular season without earning any particular honor. So we spoke about the positives in the season where the Canadians struggled as much. There's some negatives. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. This is the Habs 360 podcast featuring allhabs.net. For the most trusted source of news, analysis, and features about the Montreal Canadiens, their affiliates, and their prospects, Log in to allhabs.net, your year-round resource for anything Habs-related. That's allhabs.net. If you missed a recent episode of the Habs 360 podcast, visit the podcast page on allhabs.net or search Habs 360 on iTunes for our archives. Want to make sure you never miss another episode? Subscribe to Habs 360 on iTunes and all new episodes will automatically download for you. Don't live close to Montreal? Ever feel like you're the only Habs fan in town? Chances are good that there are plenty of fellow fans just around the corner. And HabsTweetUp.com will help you find them. If you're interested in hosting a hockey party in your city, visit HabsTweetUp.com for more details. You'll be connected to other Habs fans near you in no time. Habs360 is proud to be a partner of Rocket Sports Media digital media publishers of sports and entertainment websites. In addition to building a worldwide network of sports fans, the team at RSM is also dedicated to mobilizing the sports community in ways that make a difference in the lives of others. Giving back to the community bridges the gap between team affiliations. It's something any fan can support. RSM proudly provided support for organizations and projects like Hockey Fights Cancer, Five Hole for Food, the Montreal Canadiens Children's Foundations, Autism Speaks, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of Canada, and the People of Canada Portrait Project, just to name a few. If you would like to be involved with a Rocket Power project or have a worthy fundraising initiative you'd like us to be part of, please contact us at rocketsportsmedia.com. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. All right, this is episode 176, the season finale of season number six of the Habs 360 podcast. In the first segment, we spoke about the uh, the positives. 
now, unfortunately, we're going to talk about the negatives. And unfortunately, Rick, uh, there was a lot of them this season. There's a lot to choose from. Um, and um, uh, some of those, uh, some played more significant roles than others. Um, I'm just going to get one quick out of the way. And, and it's because I've, I've um, at the end of the season, um, I've been getting a lot of tweets. I've been getting a lot of Facebook comments, a lot of emails saying, um, what is it with the Montreal media? Um, the the year-end uh, press conference, uh, there was a lot of what you might call softballs thrown. Um, there was a lot of, of I would say, uh, endorsements uh, for, you know, r- retaining uh, – Michelle Therrien, they're one of the, the biggest criticisms uh, from the fan base is this lack of accountability, um, lack of accountability throughout the organization. And uh, the media seem to, to be very um, ginger as far as the way they ask their questions. Um, and, and I, I'm, you know, if, if the media is supposed to represent the fans or supposed to be the, the vehicle that carries thoughts and questions and, and, and find out information. Um, I, I don't know if they're, they actually had that good, that strong a season. Um, they seem rather timid. Um, I, there's some of them that stand out, but, um, you know, we've seen it before where, um, you know, from, from places like the Gazette and everything, they were, they were strong. Jacques Martin. Jacques Martin is the best coach. Pierre Gauthier is the best GM. And the day that, that they're fired, oh, gee, they were terrible. Um, and I, I'm almost seeing kind of a repeat um, with, with this current regime um, that, oh, you know, uh, there was injuries. So um, let, them, let them have another go at it. And that's certainly not where the fans are or the majority of the fan uh, opinions are. And um, I just thought it was, uh, I don't know. They, they, they missed an opportunity. Um, and I think that's why fans are, are more and more uh, turning to other sources, sources like us, sources um, to, to make their voice known, uh, their voice heard. Um, and so just, you know, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I guess I have already, um, but I just thought we'd we'd uh, we'd get that out of the way. And you're right. In general, the media wasn't uh, asking tough questions, like you mentioned, with uh, with a couple of exceptions. But at at the same time, even when those tough questions are asked, we, they don't get the responses. We all remember this famous quote from uh, from this season. That's second guessing. So it's always very. Uh, the tough questions are never answered by the Canadians, or they're giving generic responses, like uh, the one we just heard. They're they're afraid not to lose their uh, their access to the games, to the practices, and then well, if the reporters lose that, well, then their bosses won't be happy of that either. But I think a, di- a big difference now compared to the old days and. Uh, we won't spend uh, too much time on that uh, either is now with social media 
the Canadians know what the fans are thinking about, what, what they're thinking of, what are those questions. So they don't. I don't think it's as important as it used to be, because Jeff Molson or whatever the management team, the PR team, with Canadian, with the fans tweeting, Facebooking, uh, they absolutely know what's on the Montreal Canadiens fans' mind. Yeah, you're right about that. Um, absolutely. Um, speaking of Jeff Molson, I, I, I think that um, the fans have expressed their disappointment. Um, you know, when, when uh, there is a lack of accountability, uh, when, when failure doesn't, doesn't um, result in any kind of uh, action, it goes up the chain when, when uh, Bergevin doesn't do anything, then, then people look to uh, Jeff Molson. And I, I think that um, Jeff Molson, um, I understand why he'd want to send out a letter at the end of the season to fans, but um, I, I think he, it absolutely missed the mark uh, on <laughs> almost every paragraph. Uh, talking about um, a bump in the road when um, there was franchise record after record after record being set um, in the wrong direction for futility. Um, You know, the fan, the fan base of the Montreal Canadians deserves better. They know, they know what's happened. They know the history. Um, So instead of trying to whitewash it over, be honest, be honest, taking, uh, take accountability, uh, you know, be accountable uh, for the decisions that were made and, and argue why they were made, but simply saying ah, a little bump in the road and, and, you know, we'll be back there in the playoffs next year. I, I don't know. It was, it was disingenuous and I think really disappointing for the, the fan base. Um, if, if he wasn't going to step in and act, uh, then the very least he could do was be honest uh, with with Canadians fans, and I think he he really missed the mark there. Yeah, I think he did do that in public, but I'm sure uh, it was probably more heated in uh, behind closed doors. In the letter that he sent to fans, he he uh, I'll read one sentence. It says there are likely many reasons that explain what happened, but I'm not interested in excuses. I'm interested in making our team better. And then he went on to um, to discuss about, like you mentioned, bump on the road and stability. And that's things like stability. He they went and made that statement for what we mentioned earlier. He and it was in one of the letters. He does mention that he does read the tweets, so he knows what's going out there. He knows that a lot of the fan base wanted him to uh, to fire Mark Bergevin, to uh, to fire Michel Terrier, etc. But let's hear a quick comment in French from uh, Molson on uh, Mark Bergevin. La décision que j'ai que je continue à prendre et que j'ai pris il y a quatre ans, c'était d'embaucher Marc Bergevin. Et c'est la personne que je pense est la meilleure personne pour diriger cette équipe, pour améliorer cette équipe. Et c'était ma priorité. L'autre priorité que j'avais, c'est d'amener de la stabilité à long terme à cette organisation. So in that quote, Jeff Moulton talks about uh, the decision that he made four years four years ago when he hired Mark Bergevin and he stands by him and he wants stability. 
I understand Jeff Molson from the point of view of not necessarily getting into uh, the picture when it comes to dealing with uh, with hockey operations. Uh, we saw what happened uh, towards the end of the season when Ottawa Senators owner Eugene Melnick, what he said about the coach uh, Dave Cameron, about uh, what he called a stupid or dumb decision to start the backup goalie in the home opener. When Cameron ended up getting fired, he said that, well, it feels like I've been fired three weeks ago. So we don't want, uh, I don't think anybody wants to work in those kind of conditions. But that being said, I think Mark Bergevin next season, he'll be watched by uh, by Jeff Molson. Because if Jeff Molson interferes from now, I think that relationship uh, would have been done. And at the end of the day, Jeff Molson, as a business owner, he wants to make I think his number one goal is to make money, to be profitable. Naturally, wins helps him uh, gain uh, to to earn more money. And well, a message to fan base: if you're not happy with the direction of the team, don't go to the games, and that's how you'll uh, you'll get your message across. Yeah, I think that's uh, they got that message. the The number of no shows um, in, in near the end of the season. The, the the tickets are sold. He's got the money, but yeah. I think image, in addition to to money, image is a big part of it. The Canadians' image within Montreal, Quebec, uh, but also in the National Hockey League. That's uh, for for the Canadians. Th- those empty seats don't happen. And when they start to be compared to, you know, the Florida-based teams or, uh, or others that are struggling with to get fans, that's an embarrassment to Jeff Molson. And I think equal to um, money, that, that's very meaningful to him. Um, the fact of, of you know, um, bar owners uh, and merchan- merchandise uh, store owners uh, around the city complaining that their business is down 50% because of the Montreal Canadiens. So him being known as owning a team that's affecting the economy of Montreal, uh, losing the stature uh, in, in the league. I think that that weighs heavily. And I think those are the kinds of things that are going to influence him uh, to step in. If, if, if he has to make that, that decision. And that, that uh, choice, and f- for sure, uh, maybe the talks have already taken place. So I'm not sure exactly what their timelines are, but do the Canadians raise their prices for next uh, season? If they do, so that's something they're going to think about. So that's how it's also going to affect their their revenues going forward with uh, with the performance uh, the performance this year. So so Jeff Molson, he's in there in our list for a, for a loser of the season. So we, we spoke about uh, Jeff Molson. We're going to go now to one step lower in the chain of command. And I personally think that he is the big loser of the Canadians uh, this season. And that's Canadian general manager, Mark Bergevin. A lot of people had bad seasons in the organization. To me, Mark Bergevin had the worst. Before the season started, uh, we he he wasn't able to acquire a solid top six forward. There was talk uh, that uh, he did attempt to get players, but they didn't get done. So then he was, I guess, stuck signing Alex Semin and acquiring Zach Cassian 
via trades. Uh, we knew back then that for Mark Bergevin, he would either, if those signings would have worked out, we, we'd be here right now today saying that Mark Bergevin, he's the best general manager of the season. And if it didn't work out, we would have known that right here on today's episode, we'd be saying that Mark Bergevin had a bad year, and that's what ended up happening. There's a need for the Montreal Canadiens of acquiring a, a top six forward. It wasn't filled. He was asked about it in uh, the uh, postseason press conference. They're not very. They're not available. Very little, and we don't have a top six that I could have. That we have that I could give or top four to get that. Then I'm creating another hole. So it's 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 it, the best way is to. Draft well, develop well, and uh, like I said, you bring some help on your third and fourth line to add the scoring that you need to compensate for the top two lines. That's the way you know the way to approach it. And I think the next clip pretty much sums up what my response would be to uh, to that comment. But you know what? Nobody wants to hear it. Just get it done. But don't 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 give me these excuses. Just get it done. I mean, we all have a job. We all work. We all get paid, and at times, our jobs are never easy. But what does our boss tell us? I don't care how you do it. Just get it done. I'm paying you. Get it done. And that's it. And I'm hoping those are the kind of words that Jeff Molson gave to Mark Bergevin heading into uh, the offseason. No more excuses now. This I gave you one shot. You had a bad season. Now you need to make up for it. Get it done. Another reason why I think Bergevin didn't have a good season is when Carey Price got injured, uh, even now after the season, they're saying that, well, they didn't know like the time that they were getting is what they were sharing with us uh, as well. He didn't do anything to improve the team when Carey Price got injured. There is reports that he did try to make some big trades. He even said that he was close to making deals that other teams rejected. Was that player Drouin from Tampa Bay? Who knows? We don't know for sure who the names are out there, and he didn't. In fact, he was asked if he, going back, he would have liked to acquire a goalie to uh, to replace Carey Price. I made some calls, like I always do, and at the time, what was available, talking to my hockey man, talking to Stephen Waite, for what I believe is one of the top goaltending coach in the NHL, what was available was not an upgrade on what we had. Well, nothing better was available. There was a name that that we that even Rick specifically mentioned here in the Habs 360 podcast uh, in December. A name that was out there as well that ended up getting traded later was uh, James Reimer by with the Toronto Maple Leafs at that time. What was the asking price? Who knows? When Carey Price went down, Canadian still had Jared Norty at that time. So I'm not saying that uh, Jared Nordy for James Reimer is a trade that I would do, but if it was between Tenorti for Scott or Tenorti or James Reimer, I think that decision is relatively simple. Well, let's, in terms- let's 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 look at who who James Reimer went for. James Reimer went to the Sharks for Ben Smith. Ben Smith was 169th overall in the 2008 draft. He's 27 years old. I mean, Ben Smith and Alex Daylock, neither one. And, and um, uh, they, um, they also gave up with, 
with James Reimer. Um, they also got Jeremy Moran. So, I mean, there's this, these ex, this excuse after excuse after excuse. Oh, I made calls. Oh, I almost made a trade. It's, it's this almost stuff. It's sounding like almost Rene Bork. Um, <laughs> it, it, it is. It, it, it just, um, and you know how, how Rene Bork is marked, uh, mocked, um, this almost stuff. That's the same kind of excuses that are coming out of the mouth uh, of, of Mark Bergevin. It's so, so hard to, to make trades. Other people, other teams make them. Oshie was traded. Sagan was traded. Brandon Sod was traded. Free agents were signed. Justin Williams, um, Sharp went to Dallas. I mean, this is, this is feeble and pathetic that, that Bergevin is going around making these kinds of, of comments. And, you know, some are applauding him saying, oh, well, that's great. He made the most phone calls in the league. That's just lame. It's absolutely lame. And and just to, I uh, just want to finish up quickly on uh, the goaltending. I know uh, Mike Condon, he was, I think, up there for uh, both awards, the Molson Cup and the Jacques Beauchamp. I'm not saying Mike Condon was horrible but just one thing to keep in mind the canadians this season scored as many goals as they did last season and well on the other end they allowed 47 more goals than they did uh, last season so i'll just leave that uh out there everybody can uh, can think about that stat for uh, for a couple of moments and i respect our fans we have the honestly i believe we have the best you see at the end of the year the way they were and they all have their opinion and their passion. But I will not uh, do what's popular or what they want. I'll do what's best because I have all the information. They don't. I, I respect that comment from Mark Bergevin. I don't think you should make decisions based on uh, necessarily what the fans want. It should be whatever is best for uh, the hockey team. The Canadians had a bad season this year, and I don't think... Uh, Mark Bergevin handled this bad season well. There's uh, there's some vagueness in regards to um, to the injuries, which, by the way, Mark Bergevin did confirm that it's his policy and it's going to continue that way going forward. But there was things like Carey Price's first injury, which there was still some secrecy around it. Uh, P.K. Subban's uh, injury that was still we it was very vague at the end of the season. Jared's Nordic trade, which was kept very uh, secretive as um, as well. He said he spoke to players twice. That didn't work out. He was really disappointed in that. And while I would say it's probably the most important offseason for uh, for Mark Bergevin, uh, we're going to go into more details about that in, uh, in a couple of minutes. But uh, Rick, is there anything else that you need to add when it comes to, uh, to Mark Bergevin? Yeah, Mark Bergevin should definitely not uh, listen to uh, fans. He shouldn't um, base his decisions on popularity. Um, you, you really need to stick to your principles, and I was really glad to see he did that. Uh, he stuck. He told my, uh, Mike McCarron that he was going to um, be with the Canadians for the rest of the season, and he stuck to that. And he told John Scott that he wasn't going to ever be called up to the Canadians, and and he resisted all the popular fans yelling for that. He resisted, and John Scott was never called up. 
Oh yeah, right. Um, he's he's being hypocritical, very hypocritical. He bowed to to that whole John Scott thing was a mess. Uh, he's using this as an excuse, and it's a it's it's a terrible terrible excuse because we've seen him on both sides of that equation. So now we'll find out. We're gonna take a break. We're gonna find out on the other side who is Rick's loser of the season. Is it UP? Maybe. Is it the person selling the hot dogs and the chips? It's uh, it's possible. You'll have to stay tuned to find out. And we'll also talk about what we're gonna, what we should be expecting during the off season. Stay with us. This is the Habs 360 podcast featuring allhabs.net. Want the latest Habs news with game previews, reviews, and highlights? How about full coverage of development camps and special events? Looking to follow the St. John's Ice Caps or the Brampton Beast more closely this season? Perhaps you'd like to learn more about team prospects. Would you like a place to socialize with hockey fans all over the world? We've got what you're looking for at allhabs.net, the place where you'll find everything you need to be the most informed and connected Habs fan around. Allhabs.net. Frameworth is the exclusive supplier and distributor of autograph products for some of the best hockey players in the world, including Carey Price, Sidney Crosby, Jonathan Taves, John Tavares, and Alex Galchenyuk. Thanks to Frameworth, Habs360 listeners can receive free shipping on any order. Shop online at frameworth.com and type in Habs360 at checkout. Frameworth is an official licensee of the NHL, NHLPA, Hockey Canada, CFL, and the Hockey Hall of Fame. For more information, visit Frameworth.com. Rocket Sports Media is currently recruiting talented, motivated, and committed people to join our team. If you're a student wishing to gain experience, a young professional interested in broadening your credentials, an experienced hockey mind looking for a platform to share your expertise, or a passionate fan looking to contribute to our publications by connecting with fellow hockey fans, we want to hear from you. We are specifically interested in individuals who have education and or experience in the following areas. Sports writing, translation, editing, forum administration, social media administration, multimedia, graphic design, web development and user support, event planning, and sponsorship and marketing. If you are bright, loyal, passionate, and willing to dedicate yourself to a remarkable team, visit allhabs.net and click the Join Our Team tab today. This is the Habs 360 podcast, featured on allhabs.net. All right, welcome back. Chris G. here along with uh, Rick Stevens from uh, allhabs.net. So, Rick, let's get right to it. Is your loser of the year UP? Um, no, not this year. Uh, and the hot oh. dogs are pretty good, so we'll leave that aside too. Um, I think there's one person that had a bigger impact, the, a negative impact on, on the Hab season than anybody else. And I understand that Bergevin... Um, had a, had a rough season. I I agree with you there. But even more so than that, um, I think what we're hearing is um, by some that the Canadians started out on that torrid pace. The nine nine zero and zero. They set a you know they were they were just came out of the gates blazing. 
then they had injuries, and then, uh, oh, well, that was the end of the season. But that isn't exactly accurate. So let's take a second to look at the season. Um, they actually finished um, October with a 10-2-0 record, um, and that carried on into November. Um, they had an 8-2-3 record in, in November, uh, even with Carey Price's first set of injury. Um, so that for the first two months, they had an 18-4-3 record. Um, and uh, that was... That was um, um, let's add, let's add December 1st, the, the December 1st game against Columbus, which they won. Um, so to start the season, they had a 19, four and three record. That was the best start in franchise history, the best start in franchise history. Um, and at that point they had 41 points in the bank. No team in NHL history that has earned 41 points through the first 26 games went on to miss the playoffs. And the Canadians did. That was a a stat in CBS sports. Um, The Canadians did. Now, why is that? Is that injuries? During December, the Canadians were only dealing with two injuries. Carey Price, significant one, but could be manageable. And Brendan Gallagher. The other thing that was was a hallmark of the first two months of the season was the fact that Tarion, who's notorious for changing his his, uh, lines, didn't change his lines all that much. We had consistency. We had, oh, let's use the word from uh, Jeff Molson, stability. Um, And they weren't necessarily, uh, it wasn't necessarily stability with the, the... the trios, it, it was in pairs. On the first line, we had Pacioretty and Placanitz. On the second line, we had Eller and Galchenyuk. On the third line, we had Fleischman and DRNA. And that was from opening day till um, the end of, of November, actually the, just into December. They won that game, which I mentioned against Columbus on the 1st of December. And then on December 4th, they faced the Capitals. They won the game and, and they had a, a a 19-4 and 3 start. And for that game against the Capitals on December 4th, 27th game of the season, Michelle Terrian changed up his line. He dropped Thomas Pekanitz to the fourth line uh, to the third line, sorry, and moved David Dearnay with Max Pacioretty on the first line. And the Canadians lost to the Capitals. He changed the, he dismantled the lines. He dismantled the power play uh, setup. Um, and the Canadians went on to a 3-11-0 December. That's a 2-14 winning percentage. The worst uh, December in franchise history. The worst December in franchise history. Um, Tarion tried uh, a couple games later. Uh, the patriotic Galchenyuk uh, duo for the first time. Uh, that was against the Bruins and then against Detroit. The first game that he tried it, he said, he told the media, oh, Galchenyuk had a really rough game, almost as if he was hoping that would happen so he could go back to his lines. Galchenyuk faced two of the best defensive centers in the league 
in Datsuk and Bergeron. And immediately that was scrapped and went back to the, the uh, Pacioretty DNA combo. Well, winning three of 14 games in December, your first line center, David Darnay, for the entire month picked up two assists. There's your failed season. December is your failed season. It was done after that. It was absolutely done. And it was a self-inflicted wound. Tarion could have adjusted. He could have. But um, he was the one that dismantled the lines. He was the one that, that kept Darnay on the top line when he wasn't producing at all. Um, he, he was the one that, that uh, orchestrated this, this whole thing and and because of the of December, the the season was over, and Michelle Terrian was the architect of it. Well, I agree that uh, Terrian did not have a good season. I think it's hard to uh, argue against that, but I think he gets uh, a little bit too much more blame than uh, than what he uh, deserves. And granted, I don't think any coach uh, would have survived a month of December, but uh, Michel Terrier did. And how many teams would make the playoffs if their number one goalie was missing for, uh, what, 65, 70 games, whatever the, the number that Carey Price missed. And they also missed one of their top six forwards, Brendan Gallagher, on a team that's already thin when it comes to top six forwards. They missed Brendan Gallagher for a 20, uh, 29 games. So, like you said, everything started going down, I would say, on December uh, 1st in the game against the Columbus Blue Jackets. But at the end of the day, Michel Therrien did not find a solution to help the team maybe not win, but in that stretch, I would say, okay, January, February, etc. the team didn't look good either. So he didn't find a solution, at least to make the team look decent. They... They didn't look good at all. They were losing. They are losing bad. So that does fall under Michel Therrien. Another reason could be the Canadians, uh, is Canadians' power play. For a second year in a row, it finishes at 25th in the league. So at one point, okay, one year was Lacroix. This year was J.J. Daniel. Well, at what point does uh, Michel Therrien take control and say, no, it is not working. I'm going to do something about it. And he hasn't for for the last two seasons. I think part of the blame as well, like like I told, like I said in this last segment, I think Mark Bergevin deserves the uh, number one blame. Uh, Michel Therrien definitely deserves. He's up there as well. But also, I would also give some to the leaders of the Montreal Canadiens, the players. Talking about the players with the C's, the players with the A's. I think they have. Uh, Part of the responsibility as well, when a team's going down, they need to speak to the players as well, have closed-door meetings, do whatever it takes. At the same time, I understand that maybe they didn't have all the tools. In the end-of-season press conference, Max Pacioretty did mention that there was a leader that was maybe even missed. He threw out the name of Manny Mahotra. But I think what that shows that the Canadians were lacking that veteran leader who's been through it all that could help this uh, young leadership uh, group. Uh, without it, well, they didn't lose handing, uh, sorry, they didn't uh, handle the losing 
uh, well as well. And as we mentioned in the first segment, I think the Canadians also missed uh, Carey Price. So I, I agree that Michel Terrier, to me, is a loser of the season, but he's not uh, not number one reason in my eyes. I just I just asked the question, you know, in December, how in in October and in and, and uh, November they had a 731 winning percentage and how do you uh, go to to 214 um in December I understand there were there were injuries um you know that is part of it key injury but 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 look at around the league how long it was Malkin out how long was Fleury out how long was Latang out uh Pittsburgh was in the top half of of injuries, the top half of the league in injuries. Uh, and they made the playoffs. Florida was in the top half of the league. St. Louis was in the top half of the league. Tampa Bay Lightning were in the top half of the league in terms of injuries. And they made the playoffs. Um, I, I, I think that, that the, the stubbornness, the arrogance, the unwillingness to adapt, uh, the way he played favorites, um, the power play, I think... You know, one of the problems is that that um, Terrian has taken control of the power play. You can bring in a consultant who can provide you good advice, and if you toss the, the advice in the garbage can and send out a David Darnay on the power play first wave, um, you know, Terrian Terrian doesn't listen. Um, he he saps the confidence of players. He doesn't put players. In, in the place to in a position to succeed and that's the that's the number one role of a coach it's easy it's easy to be behind when you're rolling and, and you've got all your players and no injuries and and zero adversity when you need a coach most is when you're facing adversity when you need to adapt when you have to change the game plan um, and Terrian went on to lead the Canadians to the worst four month stretch of hockey of any team in the league. Um, and I think that just goes to, 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 to show his qualities or his lack of qualities as, as a coach in this league. And it's beyond me that he didn't get uh, fired in December, but you know, I don't know how you explain it when, when you go through that four month stretch and, and you're still standing at, at the end. of the year. So it'll be a, Quite the storyline, the Michel Terrier uh, to start off uh, next season, but definitely Michel Terrier is a, a loser for for this season. Michel, like I said, you learn. You know, you learn a lot. We all learn. Players learn, uh, and I'm convinced they have. And if they didn't, then we're gonna have a problem. But I, I like to believe I met with them this morning, and I believe they learn a lot for what happened transpired this year, and, and we're not happy. We're not happy, and. Uh, it's my job to address this team moving forward, and I will do that, but Michelle will be behind the bench opening night. So, Rick, uh, a lot of people, as we heard, Mark Bergevin learned from this season. Uh, what did you learn? Uh, I learned that there's no accountability in the Montreal Canadiens organization. I learned that it's, it's a little questionable whether – they have as their number one goal the pursuit of the Stanley Cup, which there shouldn't be anything else in their their vision. That should be their only goal. That should be the only thing that they are pursuing. And that's questionable. And I think uh, that's what was confirmed to me this season. And 
if we look, um, I'll just add more on the um, on the on-nice product. I 100% agree with you, by the way. Uh, focus on the on-nice product. I think what this season, what we learned from the Montchalkneys, and I hope what Mark Bergevin learned is that Canadians need uh, at least two top six forwards to fill up the um, the the six uh, those first two lines. I know it's quite a hard task to get two one, but now I'm asking for two, so that's quite the uh, the ask that I'm doing for Mark Bergevin. Another ask is depending on the carry price situation. Is he 100%? Well, if he's not 100%, or if there's some doubt about him able to play a full season, then I think the Canadians need a uh, upgrade in that goaltending in a goaltending position. And one more thing that I think that we learned this season, I think the Canadians have too much uh, cap hit locked on uh, defensemen. We saw a lot of these young defensemen coming in. We saw Patteron. We saw Hanley. We saw Dietz. We saw Barbario. And I think you could let go at least one of the salaries there on defense for a, for a cheaper option. That could help get a, um, a top six forward. Mark Bergevin in the press conference seemed to be um, not hinting that there would be much changes during the offseason, but I think the only thing that he was doing there was managing expectations. So if something does happen, then he looks like a hero, and if it doesn't happen, well, he'll say, you know what, I, I told you uh, all along. On the ice itself, Rick, what kind of changes do you think Mark Bergevin should do during the uh, the offseason? Well, I guess um, one of the things I'm hearing from fans, and, and I agree, is we're still waiting for, for Mark Bergevin to put his stamp on this team. Um, the, 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 the contributions are, let's just say he's still living off of Bob Ganey's, um, the Bob Ganey era um, uh, drafting. Price, Subban, Pacioretty, uh, Gallagher. Um, all drafted uh, during the, the, the Bob Ganey area. And if you look at Alex Galchenyuk, uh, which I guess can be credited towards Bergevin, you put an asterisk beside that. Because uh, remember, Bergevin was, was hired just before that dra- draft, and he came in and said, you know what, this draft I'm going to have to sit on the sidelines a bit. I'm going to have to leave it to Trevor Timmons. So I don't even know that, that you can credit Galchenyuk to, to his list. So where, where is Mark Bergevin's list, where, where is his impact? And we heard in his press, year-end press conference that his fundamental belief is that it's difficult to add, to trade for a, a top six guy. It's, um, you know, it, free agency, it's, it's tough to attract them to Montreal. So he said that his philosophy is adding third and fourth line players who will supplement the offense. We thought it was just that, you know, that, that uh, that's what's happened. And, and, but, but this is actually a philosophy that he has, that his attention is, is, is focused on those third and fourth line players who he says will supplement the offense, which as, as we've all seen, it hasn't really transpired. Um, so, I'm, uh, you know, uh, I think uh, fans are talking about, oh, Druan, oh, Stamkos, oh, you know, it's a big move. And I don't, I don't, frankly, I don't expect it to, to happen at all. Wayne Gretzky was traded, okay? Am I trying to move P.K. Subban? No. Am I trying to move Carey Price? No. 
Am I trying to move Max Pacioretty? No. Is my job to make this team better? Yes. To move any of these guys and he's going to PK, it would have to be something very special. And as a hockey man, I'm going to have to look at all my options. So, Rick, uh, Mark Bergevin mentioned a couple of names that he will not be looking to uh, trade during the uh, offseason. So that leaves a couple of other players. I'll call them the um, bigger names on the Montreal Canadiens, like uh, Thomas Plekanec or Lars Zeller or maybe somebody on defense, Alexi Emelin. Putting David Dagne, but honestly, I don't think he's tradable. I wouldn't consider him a, a big uh Somebody that teams are are calling Mark Bergevin for. I'm expecting one of these players that I mentioned in my list at least not to be here at the start of the next season. Are you expecting? I know you you, you mentioned that maybe it's third line or fourth liners, but would it shock you if uh, another bigger name would uh, would be traded? Well, the interesting part of that that um, clip you just played was. I think as soon as as general managers around the league hear that clip, they'd be on the phone saying, okay, I have a special offer for P.K. Subban. One of the things that, that Mark Bergevin said is, um, you know, the, the question, when you put the question in that context, it was about specifically P.K. Subban. It wasn't about Pacioretty. It wasn't about Price. They were asking about P.K. Subban because of the supposed divide in the locker room. And Bergevin said, yeah, if somebody comes forward with a big special offer, of course I'm going to listen. That, that was, uh, I think, eye-opening to a lot of people that he would consider trading P.K. Subban. And it was terrifying to a lot of fans who, you know, have, have P.K. As, as their fan favorite. Um, that would be a, a really difficult trade to pull off. And to be honest, I don't, I don't know that, that – Bergevin has it in him um, to engineer such a trade. But I think he, he sent an open invitation to all the other GMs to say, hey, send me your, your best special offer here. And I think his job, like my favorite player in the Canadian is Carey Price, and then it's uh, P.K. Subban. Those are my two uh, favorite players on the team. But that being said, I think as a general manager, if you get a call on those players, you should listen. Uh, to them. I don't think you should practically go out there and start calling, but if you get to call, listen, who knows what you get as an offer, but uh, I don't think you'll get anything uh, anything big, anything that will be worth it for uh, for those players. So, But when it goes back to the other players, Rick, are you expecting like an Eller? Are you expecting like an Emlyn? Are you expecting like a Plekanec maybe to be uh, shopped around during the offseason? Oh, I'm sure he'll he'll try. Uh, with Eller, I think uh, Eller was really an unsung hero this season. Uh, he was the one, as I said, for um, October and November, he was the one uh, paired with um, uh, Alex Galchenyuk, and I think he was a key guy. He he would step in uh, for face-offs as Galchenyuk was learning face-offs. He would step in at center to for defensive coverage when Galchenyuk was learning that. And... Um, I don't know. I, 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 I would be really reluctant to part with, with Eller. Um, uh, you know, I, I think Emelin has a, a, a lot of um, good qualities that aren't always seen, but he might be a player that might go. I think um, Dayarnay, you're right, is probably not tradable, but he would be uh, absolutely a consideration for, 
Jeremiah um, in that that there's any number of players who could be contributing um, what he what he has been contributing or not contributing this past season. In terms of UFAs, compared to a couple of uh, last season, uh, previous seasons, not that many. Only Tom Gilbert and Victor Barkley are in a UFA situation. Are expecting any of those two players to be back next season? No. Simple answer is no. Um, I don't. Um, you know, Gilbert's injury is going to take a while to to um, repair. Um, I think they brought out Bartley just simply to to prove that that the um, the whole Tenorti trade wasn't as silly as 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 it originally sounded. But but part, Bartley didn't show anything, um, whether when he was in St. John's or in Montreal, that any number of defensemen uh, could contribute. So neither of them will be back. And heading into the off season, Rick, are you more of uh, looking at it as optimistic or pessimistic? Well, you know, um, the, everything's hinging on Carey Price. If Carey Price is back, the team makes the playoffs. Um, it's it's as simple as that. I would I would like to see the Canadians learn the lesson that there's all kinds of other problems um, from the coaching staff on down that need to be addressed in the off season. Although I'm not confident that, that uh, Bergevin has the will uh, or the experience really to, to, to make the moves that he needs to make. And so um, sadly I have to, I have to, you want to enter a, a new season being optimistic, but I'm going to be on the pessimistic side. Yeah, I think that uh, there will be some changes during the off season, but I don't think uh, they'll be able to address all of them. There's a lot of them I think to address uh, over the offseason and UFAs, we know that Mark Bergevin isn't a fan of those, so don't expect him on July 1st to be looking to um, to pick up a big name that we're missing. But hey, hopefully we'll be we'll be surprised uh, when the training camp uh, begins. Well, one big name that's being discussed is Frankie Boo. You know, that's that's gonna that's gonna turn around this franchise. Well, like honestly, like. It depends on what his role would be with the team. As an assistant coach, I think he would add no value. But if they put him something in player development, like, you know, I don't have a problem uh, with that. But definitely that would be another uh, story to, to uh, keep our eyes out uh, during the uh, the off season. And well, with that, this will conclude season number six of the Habs 360 podcast. We had great guests throughout the season that brought us closer inside the Canadian dressing room and many experts that provided their insight on the team and the game itself of hockey. They include, but not limited, to Dave Randor from Rogers Sportsnet, TSN's John Lou, Louis-Jean from TVA Spa, uh, Jeremy Filosa from 98.5 FM Sports, Douglas Gallivan from uh, CT- CBC TV in Montreal, and uh, former NHLer Bobby Dulles. If you missed any of, any of our episodes, you please go to the Habs360 page on allhabs.net or search Habs360 on iTunes or the TuneIn app for our archives. We'd like also to thank our various sponsors, such as Framework Sports Marketing, Zesto Resto Bar, Experience Old Montreal, and R2Canvas.com, who supported us and allowed our listeners to win great prizes during the 2015-16 season. Rick, thank you for a great season and for our on and off the air debates. Yeah, <laughs> equally on, on, on either side. I, I've enjoyed it. Um, 
first uh, season that I've spent so much time as, as a co-host with you. I really appreciate being here. Uh, I enjoy our debates. And uh, I'll just remind uh, the listeners and, and the entire All Habs community that uh, All Habs never takes a well, – there's no off-season for, for All Habs. So visit allhabs.net or uh, on Twitter, uh, on Facebook, on Instagram. We will be putting out fresh content every single day uh, through the off-season to cover some of the stories that, uh, uh, that you're interested in. And thank you as well to the allhabs.net team for their support. Most importantly, we would like to thank you, our listeners, for your support, whether via your tweets, your phone calls, or your messages on the All Habs Facebook page. The Canadian season on the ice, uh, it's over, but we're still expecting plenty of action during the offseason. Like Rick mentioned, you can visit allhabs.net, and you can also follow Habs360 on uh, Twitter for your latest Montreal Canadiens news. Our next episode, number 177, will be a best-of episode. We'll replay some of our best moments. I'm Chris G. You can follow me on Twitter at ChrisG1980. It was fun. Enjoy the off-season, and go Habs go. For the latest news on the Montreal Canadiens, follow us on Twitter at Habs360 and visit allhabs.net.